This episode is brought to you by Great Waters Financial. I think deep curiosity has to have the profound human component of relationship, or we just turn into these people that have lost a great deal of our humanity. President of the Ambassador Agency and author Wes Yoder joins us on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we're here to welcome you to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast because we want to help you put your faith to work bringing out that stuff that's inside of you that has has yet to to find its way it's just eking ready to find its way out right <laughs> that's i mean desperately eking. crawling out <laughs> desperately crawling out <laughs> well we have another great guest for you on the program today this is someone who armin and i have visited with in the past in the reinventure me uh, episodes uh, of of long ago um, and uh, just uh, delighted to have Wes Yoder on the program today. He is the president and founder of Ambassador Agency. That is the largest Christian speakers bureau, and it's also a literary agency. Wes himself has given national media representation for Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life and has represented New York Times bestsellers, uh, Mistaken Identity, The Shack, and Bonhoeffer, and he represents the best-selling clients including Scott Hamilton, Donald Miller, and William Paul Young. He has been interviewed on the Today Show, NBC Nightly News, ABC Primetime, Dateline NBC, CNN, the Reinventure Me podcast, and of course, now on the Bold Idea podcast. He is the author of Bond of Brothers, Connecting with Other Men Beyond Work, Weather, and Sports. And we just want to welcome again to this program, Wes Yoder. Well, thank you. It's so, good to be back with you. Yeah, well, exactly. I was just going to say, it's good to have you back, but not back on Bold Idea because you were with us on Reinventure Me. I only think of being back as being with you. I don't know what all these other inventions are that you keep doing, but you seem to have a capacity for inventions, and and that's because that's because you have, I think, something going on that we're talking about today. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, I'm around all week, so you know, tune in tune in later to see what the next invention is. No, but uh, Wes, your your interview in Reinventure Me was the most listened to episode of the reinvention me podcast by far uh i don't i don't have a category for this i've never been first at anything <laughs> my last name starts with a y we we are always at the end of everything um and so that that just kind of blows my mind and is a lot of fun at the same time yeah for sure now i want to dive into a little bit of your background but for our listeners who haven't checked out that uh reinventure me episode go to reinventure.me slash 116 we talked about is the best part of your life behind you, and it was just an amazing episode. And Wes, I, I think that that's still a fun topic. Uh, I love that idea that um, so long as you wake up in the morning, what's this? What's the song that the old Americana roots song? I woke up this, again this morning, not dead. <laughs> <laughs> I used to call a, a client of mine, and, and uh, I would say, "How you doing?" He says, "Well, I'm on the right side of the grass." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. First time he told me that, I had to think for a minute. <laughs> hey, Wes. So let's let's dive into this because you have um, you have taken quite a road from your early days. You you listen. You are the only uh, uh, Amish guy that I know, <laughs> or at least well, formerly well, that, Amish I mean, that's, guy. That's I should okay. say. Maybe I mean, everybody needs one. I don't know if we need more than one. I, I've got a um, you know I've got a whole 
uh, community full of cousins, and that's good for me, but maybe you only need one. Yeah, well, you know, the only thing I know about the Amish I learned from Witness, you know, and that's not exactly a, probably a documentary on the Amish community. I, I just, I know I told my wife, if they had Amish girls that looked like that, I wouldn't <laughs> So, so let's say you, you have had uh, quite a successful career leading the ambassador agency, making it the largest speakers bureau and Christian speakers bureau in the country. So how did you get from your Amish roots to where you are today? Well, when I got out of high school, dad um, had me working on the farm for two years. Um, we didn't have any money. They were able to pay me $50 a month to run the dairy um, uh, do all the you know silo filling the hay corn operation. I had a brother in ninth grade helping me, and at the end of two years, uh, Dad, uh, I remember standing up beside the road, and he looked at me, and said, "Son, we we you know we we're the farm's starting to do better, it's starting to produce some income, a little bit of income." Um, and he said, "I'd like to have you consider a proposition." I said, "Well, what's that?" He said, "I'd like to give you half of the farming operation if you if you'd like to stay and work the farm." And because we were outside and we happened to be in the flight path of airplanes coming into the Philadelphia airport about an hour out from that up in Lancaster County, I, there happened to be an airplane flying overhead at the, right when he said that. I said, I said, Dad, you see that airplane up there? And he said, yes. I said, I have to find out where they're going. Hmm. And I think there was always a sense of, uh, of a journey that there was something more uh, than the tedium of farming. I love being a gardener. I love farming. I love everything that 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 matters because of that. Um, but in terms of the tedium, I needed. I'm a little more social. Um, I love to get away to the quiet of the garden where I can think and contemplate, pray, laugh uh, at my own silly jokes inside my head. But I need to be around people, and uh, I think I knew that early on. And um, wanted to find out where the roads went. I, I still have uh, an insane curiosity about what's in Patagonia because I've never been there. What's over in this other country that God made where the people are so different from the way I am? Mm-hmm. Uh, gee, if he bothered to create it, I'd sure love to see it. If he bothered to make them, I'd sure love to meet them. Mm-hmm. So you you had this conversation with your dad in the field. And <laughs> what was his reaction? He understood because he he know more. He didn't argue or, or even even put up a word of complaint. Uh, he no more wanted to stay on the farm with his father when he was a kid or a twenty year old young man uh, than I did, and he totally get it got it. So when I asked my son in his mid, middle twenties if there was any chance that he wanted to come into my business after college and work with me, uh, he said no chance, Dad. I at I said, I totally get that. <laughs> That's not a problem in our family. <laughs> so you, you, you then somehow got involved in uh, this idea of helping to promote authors as a literary agent and also speakers in their speaking career. Uh, what, got you, what got you started in that? Well, I think, first of all, uh, reading and what I would call an awakening of the mind, which I remember sitting in my um, apartment when I was probably 24, 25 years old, 25, I think it was the, the springtime of, of 25. And that year, uh, I remember January and just, I, you know, I don't like winter that much anyway. I don't like the darkness. I, I like the sunshine. I like all that. 
And I decided that um, as much as I liked to read, I hadn't been reading much, I would read a book a week for an entire year. I had no idea where to begin. I went down to the public library, checked out some westerns, checked out some other novels, checked it, happened upon a C.S. Lewis book. Um, that was the one that caught my attention. Um, and, uh, and from there it was Chesterton, George MacDonald, all the Inklings that were a part of it, Dorothy Sayers, the murder mysteries, the, the Lord Peter Whimsey murder mysteries. And I remember sitting in my apartment one, uh, one night reading and I, I literally stopped reading. I jumped up out of my chair and screamed, I can think, I can think. And it's, it's, it, was, it was truly um, what I look back on as the awakening of my mind because I had grown up going to a two-room Amish schoolhouse, going to uh, a college prep high school, did, did well despite the farm work, uh, but never had the advantage that my peers did of, of being able to go to college. And so there was a sense that I had that I had missed something. I was, I was out of the loop uh, intellectually. And as I'm, as I'm reading uh, some C.S. Lewis books and some of these other people, all of a sudden I have this startling sense that I will no longer be intimidated by, by how well the mind of another person works because I have one of my own mm. and it too works. And it, it was genuinely the awakening of my mind. That was what led me into a deeper place of curiosity about all of life, even though the, 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 the seeds of curiosity had always been a part of me, I think. It was awakened in my young adulthood. So you, at, that, at 25, you, you're like, I, I can think, therefore I am. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I can think, therefore I live. Therefore I mean, you live. Not yeah. only I am, I, I can think, therefore I am alive. And yeah. there, was, there was this sense of aliveness that came from it uh, that was so invigorating and, and, and just quickening of my both heart and mind together. And how did that change the way, well, the way you, you live then? How did that change your, what behavior changes happened as a result of that? I think, I think what began to happen is I began to ask deeper questions. I would ask the why question down to three or four or seven levels. I would, uh, you know, later in life, it, it, it uh, turned into doing things like uh, running into a material scientist. I had no idea there was such a thing as material science. It's, it has to do with computers and, and a lot of other things, but has to do with um, he was studying to go to Silicon Valley. He was um, a Chinese uh, friend of the family, and uh, he had come to join us for Thanksgiving. And I decided that I was going to have, no matter how awkward the conversation, I was going to talk to that man for an hour about material science until I at least understood how to ask the next question that was not so stupid he would just laugh. And, and I did. We stay, I stayed in the conversation, but that's just a little, a little example of it. I just became curious about uh, all kinds of things. What's in the rest of the world? What kind of books uh, are out there? That has developed into a lifelong kind of a, of a quest to listen for what we are not talking about. What are the politicians not saying? What are the preachers not preaching about? What did we not talk about in our conversations around our dinner table and why not? Um, and so, of course, when it comes down to books and publishers want you to bring them books that they're going to publish a year after the manuscript is completed, um, that kind of observation of what will people be interested in two years from now and being able to find books that are going to um, uh, fill that void, um, that kind of uh, questioning, uh, you know, asking 
asking deeper questions of whatever's in front of me um, became very, very helpful. Mm. How did your growing up as an Amish kid without access to lots of this kind of information really shape your transformation perhaps at 25? Well, the Amish community, as you know, does not have televisions. And we were by this time uh, in my early adolescence and, and, uh, and, and younger to elementary school, although I went to an Amish school, by this time we were very, very plain conservative Mennonites, but we did not have TVs, we did not have radios, but we did have books. And I remember even in the barn, we would take, uh, you know, we would have, you know, whoever's, uh, w- whichever of the sons was assigned to helping dad in the milking parlor, we had a small three stall parlor. It was just, you know, back then advanced, now completely antiquated, but we could only afford two milking machines. So in getting one of the cows ready to milk while the other two were finished being milked, we had anywhere from a minute to maybe five minutes to read. And I remember reading uh, uh, The Three Musketeers and, and all kinds of other books in the milking parlor. And so I would, I would read the books that my brothers brought home from high school while I was still uh, in middle school or, or seventh and eighth grade. Um, and, and it was, you know, there, we just came out of a, out of a, learn, uh, a learning culture that said read to get your education and the Amish are still very much that way. They don't have televisions, as we said. They don't, uh, you know, the kids can have some radios during Rumspringa. But the rest of the time, it's, it's the uh, development of your mind. And I know some Amish who are not curious at all, just like anybody else. But I know some that are just astoundingly informed uh, about the world they live in because of the books that they read. So by and large, it sounds like you would attribute your growing up in that community as accounting for your natural or bent toward curiosity i think i think it, it produced a bent toward curiosity it also uh produced a bent toward being an entrepreneur later in life um because we had to be inventive if you wanted uh if you wanted a bicycle that all the other kids were riding uh you had to figure out a way i did even in eighth grade how to how to earn enough money in eighth grade with, I mean, we're talking about, you know, no paper boy routes, nothing around you to earn money. There, there's, there's no way to do it. And I had to figure out a way uh, to earn enough money to, to, to buy a bicycle, which I did by selling garden seeds one spring. Yeah. Let's talk about the practical application of this, because this is the bold idea podcast and our listeners are you know, seeing that God is doing something or stirring something in them and they want to, you know, take that, trust God with an idea for their life. How does this idea of cultivating a curiosity uh, or cultivating your own curiosity, how does that better equip us to see the bold idea that God might be working on in our lives? How did, how did that do that for you? Well, I, re- I remember my older brothers, and, and I think while I'm speaking about my brothers and answering the question, a lot of times uh, these things are developed inside relationships. I don't think they're developed outside of relationships. It could be a relationship even with a book. But in healthy human environments, a lot of this stuff is picked up from older siblings or parents or uncles and aunts or somebody uh, who who kind of notices that you're stuck and asks you a question that might change your life. Um, and so I remember uh, my older brothers, one summer came home from school. I don't know if this was something they had picked up in one of the classes in high school but I remember for at least one summer, uh, one of the biggest put downs among your brother, our brothers um, and my two oldest brothers and I would be, oh, you're so unobservant. You didn't see that. And so there was this there was this sense, even 
when I was like in eighth grade, that my older brothers were going to tease me if I missed an observation that everybody seemed to know. Mm. And so, um, you know, a life of curiosity, I think, comes through reading. I think it comes through healthy human relationships. I think you need some people in your life that have a twinkle in their, in their eye. Uh, some 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 older people who retained uh, childlike playfulness. Um, I think I think you need people in life um, that can that can teach you the value of being teased and teasing other people. Uh, not not in a bully kind of way, just in that gentle, fun thing that happens uh, in a healthy family when you're not all glued to an iPhone or a television set. So, w- difference between what life was for you and what you see today, what do you see as being the biggest downfall in trying to live a life of curiosity? Well, I think, I think one of the biggest things uh, that's happening now is um, we are devolving into a mechanistic society in deeper ways than we ever had uh, through these little electronic devices that we have. And we think that because we have 200 friends on our social media or, or 2,000 friends that, we're actually, that we actually have friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care where you go. You can go to Focus on the Family. You can go to any company in America that's got pictures on the wall of their top executives or the happy families or uh, the pictures that everybody posts on uh, Instagram. You're getting the best of the best. You're getting the edited version of other people. And, and if you think that is relationship, first of all, you're completely deluded. Second of all, if that's what you're depending on for the comparison about whether your life is healthy and normal, um, and, you know, you begin doing the same thing. And so this doesn't happen. The, 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 the difficulty with the technological society is, is that, it, that it's very mechanistic. It's very much to, to produce efficiency. Um, and, and I think that's the difference between – the way I grew up and the way a lot of kids are being trained now to think or not to think. And that is, that is looking, into, looking into their machines, which you can often make a living with a machine. So there's a really upside to this thing too. But, but it, it, it's not teaching anybody about relationships. And I think, I think deep curiosity has to have the profound human component of, of relationship to go along with fact and, and information and, and the science of whatever you're working on. There has to be this relationship where, where we just turn into these people um, that have lost a great deal of our humanity. And at that point, what good is the invention? What good is the production uh, if you can't really enjoy it? That's, that's one of my key things about watching myself. You know, can I actually lay that thing down and not check email? Can I, can I not check the latest message when it beeps? And, and try to keep myself healthy in that, in that regard, I think, uh, is a great, part, a great way to preserve uh, the natural curiosity that, that is embedded in us first as children and that is recovered as we learn to become more childlike as we get older. You know, what you're talking about really striking a chord with me right now in that you know, we sometimes, I think, have a deceptive view about our, who really our friendships are. I, I love how you said that about, um, you know, looking at our social networks or whatever to gauge an indication of that. But I remember leaving um, one of my employers and the people that you work with, you know, day in, day out over years, you can have this sense that they're your friends. But you once you leave, you start to find that they really weren't part of a social fabric that would be considered friendship. And I just wonder about how much do we deceive ourselves really in terms of the depths of our friendships when we, you know, don't take 
a serious approach as I think you're describing of cultivating a curiosity and relationship with somebody else. You know, when you look at uh, how the Inklings produce their their best work, uh, Tolkien, you know, uh, his work, um, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, Narnia, um, you know, I think the Hobbit and the Narnia tales were, were uh, the result of a competition between them or some comment one night over cigars and scotch to say, which of us do you think can create the better um, alternative world? Uh, you know, who can create the best fairy tale here? And it came out of a, of a relationship uh, with real life people, uh, not just either one of them sitting down to say, I'm going to create a fantasy world here to see who can do this better or can see who can produce it. And you have these two great literary masterpieces that come out of that conversation. Yes, yeah, because of that engagement, they got better. Exactly, exactly. So, Wes, when you think about this idea of cultivating curiosity, and certainly you you grew up with that in your Amish background, and, and, it, and it sounds like it's something that you cultivate today. You've had an opportunity to work with so many different people over the course of the years in your agency. Some, some of the biggest minds in Christian literature and, and, and speaking and all the rest— who, who stands out to you as someone who inspires you to think and continue to act in a curious way? Well, I think, um, you know, my, my best current example would be William Paul Young, author of The Shack. Um, and the reason for it is he, is he studies things for years before he opens his mouth to talk about them mm. uh, he, or, or to write about them. He uh, is curious about the rest of the world out there. If, if if another human being is interested in it and he encounters that human being, he is, he, he is immediately interested in why is that person so interested in this? What, did, what do they see that I don't see? Uh, these are my words around my observation of being with Paul, but, but he's very, very curious. Um, you know, it's, 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 he is like a grown-up version of a child that continues to say, why, why? Why? How is that happening? How could how, how could this possibly be true? Uh, and continues to ask those questions until there comes some reasonable, if not answer. I, I don't mean answer that it's all final, but but at least some uh, reasonable understanding about why this is true and why this is working the way it is. Well, we were certainly delighted to have him on our podcast, as you know. When we had him on, it was the week that his movie was coming out and uh, uh, his new book was coming out and all that. And yet he he took a tremendous amount of time to be with us on the program and certainly exemplified what you're describing. Yeah, he's he's never in a hurry when he's with people uh-huh. and he's always with people. It's like this person in front of me is the, is the most important uh, person in my life at the moment and I'm going to stay with them. Uh, as long as they need me to be here. You know, you know what our listeners don't know, it was a, this was the longest episode we had was with Paul Young. It was mm-hmm. an hour and five minutes. And even after, <laughs> Wes, even after we turned off the recording with him, he, he still talked to us. I turned the recording back. I've got another 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> that, we, that we never published. But it's yeah, just, right. uh, it's very much described. That's a great example because very much describing what you're talking about. Okay, so now how do, how do we become like that? I mean, so for those of us who are not naturally curious and, and maybe just a little bit more, you know, what I've got is fine. I don't need to go poking around the hornet's nests of, of, of life here. How, how would we cultivate a culture? How, how do we cultivate a lifestyle, really, of, of curiosity? Well, I would, I would, first of all, encourage anybody to make a list of things they, they know that they don't know. 
I mean, just take a yellow pad. I mean, you, you can fill up a whole, a whole yellow pad. Just fill, fill up one page of things that you know very little about and ask yourself, am I interested in this? Am I not interested in this? Why am I not interested in this? Okay, so lots of things get crossed off the list, but out of that, you're going to find at least several things that you would like to know more about. Or look at, look at something that you're doing now. I'm a gardener, and I'm really curious to know why in the South, we can't raise tomatoes without spraying them with some kind of a, a fungicide. And it, partly it's the weather, but is there something that we could be doing? So I'm, I'm constantly looking for ways to grow a better tomato. And this is just because of my interest in gardening. Um, I'm constantly uh, playing around with words, about with the meaning of words, with uh, words that express one thing if said one way with a little tonal change, make them the exact opposite. So I would I believe that the doorway to this is uh, and when you look at the life of Solomon Solomon the wisest man on earth I mean if you go through and read all the things that he writes about in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes it is astounding the level of exploration he did with the mind mm-hmm. and and you know God says um, you know through through St James that if we ask for wisdom he doesn't say you have to be a, a follower of his. He doesn't say you have to be a believer. He says, but if anyone asks, anyone asks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to everyone generously and does not scold them for asking, and he will give you wisdom. And I think, I think wisdom um, is, is the foundation of poetry and song and storytelling and, and all the narratives that happen, and, of the, and, and it's the foundation of the imagination. Um, and I would, I would begin uh, personally, knowing where I am and, and how meaningful a life well-lived uh, with a healthy imagination and with, with wisdom and story and song, I would begin to ask myself, why do I not care? Why am I not imaginative? Uh, what am I losing by not being more creative and more imaginative? Why do I always think, oh, I, why do I always say, oh, I'm not like that? When it comes to creativity, or I couldn't do that. Where did I begin to tell myself that lie? Where did it get me derailed? Because you, I guarantee you, whoever you are listening to this, you were not like that as a kid. Yeah. Now that's often talked about with respect to creativity. Uh, that you know we were always creative as kids, putting things together, and and now we're turning our attention to this idea of curiosity. It strikes me that you know as kids we're very curious, you know, and and somewhere along the lines we may have lost our ability to be that curious so if well, it's, we well, it's a, it's the reason kids put their fingers in, in light sockets you know in, in the oh, no, okay so that <laughs> explains why we've lost a curiosity well some of it i mean some of it got beat out of us right yeah so talk more about that well i i don't know if i have a real you know a lot to say about that but i think i think the natural curiosity of a kid um you can you can I mean, just hang around children and open your eyes and see what they do they are balls of energy they're into this. They're into that. You know, we've come to believe that a lot of their energy is, or what they're going to do with it, is bad. And by gum, some of it is because they we're teaching them. You know, we're teaching young barbarians how to be civilized. What we don't want to teach them how to do is to how to lose their curiosity, or that they shouldn't ask questions. Um, and 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 I I think there's so much. You know, for the person for the person who is now. 40 years old, 55 years old, 75 years old, and is just asleep in their life. Nothing is of interest. You know, maybe you should go see a, a doctor and get some antidepressant medicine. Maybe, I mean, that could literally 
have something to do with why you don't have a zest and a zeal for living. So, I mean, do check out, uh, you know, you know, you, with a physician if you just have lost your desire to live. I mean, I, but, mm. but beyond that, start asking yourself these questions about what do I, what do I care about? Give yourself permission to care about what you care about, not what, not just what your wife or husband says you care about, not just what the church says you should care about, not just what your boss tells you should care about. What do you, as a unique person made in the image of God, actually care about because you care about it? Mm. And that's those kinds of questions start taking you much, much deeper than just kind of shuffling through another day. Uh, waiting till you can, you know, have a beer and go to sleep and hopefully wake up without a nightmare. Uh, you know, apart from your awakening when you were 25, your intellectual awakening, and you realized that you had this ability to think in a, in a way that contributed value. Was there a time in your life where you had this moment where you, you, you said, oh, I, I, I can care about this and I can give myself to this thing and it's okay. You gave yourself permission. I, yeah. And, and I think that was a more gradual process for me. Um, and partly because uh, being a third child, uh, you you know, and being in a family where everybody cooperating together as a community really matters. That's really the positive thing of it. Um, being in a legalistic community like the Amish and, and the very conservative Mennonites were at the time, you learn how to be what the Bible calls a man pleaser, and um, and you you start you start reading the room so that whoever comes into the room. As a dominant personality, you're not going to get in the way. You don't want an argument. You avoid an argument at all costs. And you start pleasing everybody in sight so that you can kind of, you know, stay out of the fray, stay under the radar. And, um, of course, when you start asking the right kind of questions in any room, all of a sudden you can become a target. Um, and, and so you have to learn to be comfortable with yourself uh, enough to say, I'm going to express my thought here. No matter if it's understood at first, um, no matter if it's always understood, this is how I, this is what I believe, this is how I feel about it, this is why this issue matters to me. When everybody's, you know, laughing uh, at the wrong kind of joke or at, at a racial slur or, uh, or coming up with a theological equation that just doesn't have anything to do with, with how God the Father really is. There's so much of that in our world right now. And, 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 and being willing to say, you know what, when I read this scripture, continuing the theological framework for a minute, I see God the Father in this way through the eyes of Jesus, through, through him, through Jesus being the exact representation of the Father. I'm not going to buy into this other thing. Or, you know, you can apply that to any part of your life, but part of it becomes, part of this is an, is, um, uh, an aging process where you become more comfortable inside your own personhood um, and, and where, where you, don't, you no longer uh, have as your primary trigger this, this man-pleasing aspect of yourself. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. I mean, by now our listeners know this episode is brought to them by our friends over at Great Waters Financial. That's right. Just so you guys know, when we say our friends, they really are our friends. One of the partners was even a groomsman in my wedding. So when we say we know them, we really do. These are men and women of character, men and women of integrity, men and women of faith. And I'm honored and proud, as is Larry, to have them as our sponsors. That's right. They have 
over 200 million in assets under management and they serve clients all over. But one of the questions that keeps coming up is how do I know if I have the right financial advisor? How do I choose a financial advisor? So they have prepared a very simple and free download for you to get and answer those questions, how to choose a financial advisor. It's just a terrific resource that they want to make available to you. Even if this helps you pick someone other than them, they're happy with that because they just want to add value to you. So just go to greatwatersfinancial.com forward slash bold idea. Again, greatwatersfinancial.com forward slash bold idea to get your free downloadable resource. Investment advisory services offered through Advisor Net Wealth Management. Great Waters Financial and Advisor Net Wealth Management are not affiliated. Insurance products provided by Great Waters Financial, a Minnesota insurance agency. You know, there's something that you're saying about the risk of curiosity, which is probably more prevalent today than ever before due to that social media that you're talking about, you know, that even if you don't know and you ask a question, you're typically shamed, um, but you're not shamed by a singular person anymore. Now you're shamed by entire communities. So right. what what makes it worthwhile for someone who's um, you know, rightfully uh, afraid or fearful of making or being shamed because of their curiosity. What What would you say to inspire them or motivate them that it's worth the risk? Well, I would I would say first of all, you're eventually if you live in that kind of a of a of a community, you're going to eventually become very very tired and very dead of heart. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you okay with being this tired about, ple- you know, from pleasing everybody all the time? Are you, are you okay with never having your own voice where you get to raise your hand at least or raise your voice above those of your fellows and say, this matters to me, this is important to me? Um, you know, and, and you have to decide at some point. Um, I mean, I think my son has a funny statement that he makes about we talk sometime when 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 are the wars going to be over mm. and and his answer to that is when everybody gets tired of seeing so much blood mm. uh, it, it's sort of the same on these internal fights that we have when are, when am I going to quit being uh, that person and start becoming this person who's living more completely in the fullness of the image of God that I was created to live in well it's going to happen when I'm tired of all the other devices all the legalisms all the all the shoulds and the ought tos and the must. Uh, it's sort of like what Richard Rohr said that, you know, what is what is legalism and all the commandments and all of the do's and don'ts and all the boundaries, what are what are they good for? He said they're really important. He said the reason they're important is is because later in life, as you start bumping up against mystery, you realize those things don't work. They were a preparation for you to understand that there's something far greater and alive. And, and it's, it's almost like that with curiosity where you have this thing as a child and then, and then you learn you can't do certain things because you get hurt if you're too curious in the wrong way. You can't stick your finger in the electric socket. You can't run out in front of the road. You, you've got you've to learn what, this, what the civil boundaries look like. But then as you get older and sorrow often brings us around, you, you, you encounter this, this space of great mystery. One of the things that is 
so amazing to me. I wish I could understand this more. But the, the rate at which the universe is expanding, are you kidding me? I mean, we can't even fathom this. Mm-hmm. There is, there, there's so much. If, if you want to have your mind blown, just, just read some very simple facts about astronomy and try to get your mind around our galaxy, around the universe, around how many galaxies are there? Are there 170 million or are there billions of them like they suspect there are? Mm-hmm. And, and, and start, start letting your mind, um, start letting yourself ask questions of yourself and of others in gentle, you know, preserve the gentleness of this. This is not a harsh thing, but, but be gentle with yourself, first of all, when you ask questions of yourself. Why do I always do this? What is the, what is the true answer for why I always do this? Why, when somebody says this to me, do I always react with sudden anger at, at whoever said it, or at least internally? And be gentle with yourself, but start, start that self-observation process. Be curious, not only about the external world you, you, uh, you live in, but also about the internal world that you have hidden inside of you. I love it. I'm going to test something out with you and hopefully this works. Can you, I'm going to try to see if you can finish this sentence for me. Not that I have any clue how to, you're going to finish this sentence, but let's try this out. Finish this. Curiosity is the beginning of <laughs> a life of joy, beauty, and adventure. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my friend, uh, and I think you know Roger Thompson, uh, Wes, his dad used to tell him, I want to take your six-inch brain and, uh, and stretch it with a seven-inch idea. And, <laughs> that's great. I love and, it. And I think that that's, you know, <laughs> you're just great. talking about the universe expanding. And I think if we, if we grab a hold of this concept and create this lifestyle of curiosity, we really do take a six inch brain and stretch it to seven or eight or more inches, you know, in terms of the possibilities of what God might be doing in our lives. You know, I discovered um, when you start, when I started looking at some of my own prejudices, I really Uh, and the kind of person that doesn't want to like what everybody else likes. I mean, you know, with 65 million books of of, uh, Left Behind sold, I was was one of the the holdouts. There were probably many of us who said, I don't even want to like what 65 million people like. (laughs) I don't want to like what all the worldwide Catholics think is the greatest thing in their life, and that is the Vatican. And then I went to the Vatican and saw the Sistine Chapel, saw... Uh, you know, the, the massive cathedral of St. Peter's, and I'm going, oh my goodness, you know, these millions upon millions of people were exactly right, and I was the guy who was wrong. And, and g- literally going to the Vatican and seeing the incredible beauty of that was the trigger point for me that said, you know what, I am sometimes right when I don't like things everybody else likes. I don't, I don't want to follow the crowd. I don't want to be with the masses. I don't want to go on a cruise ship for the same reason. I don't want to follow everybody same, down the same little path in mm-hmm. Barcelona or whatever. But sometimes I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I, have to, I have to live my life now in a way that, that uh, provides a framework for me to see past my prejudices and when it comes to other people, to love past my prejudices. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, we could keep going on forever about this, but um, tell me quickly, what's your, what's your next bold idea? What's God stirring inside of you, Wes? Oh, my gosh. Um, bold ideas. What is God stirring inside of me? Um, 
I am I am uh, more intrigued again with my Anabaptist background than I have been uh, before. Um, uh, kind of making a, a journey uh, from you know growing up that way, um, you know, all the way through the Reformed faith, um, coming uh, coming to more of a Trinitarian um, uh, view of theology, but also very intrigued with, you know, what is the kingdom of God really like? What is it, you know, do we, do I even believe like Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you? I mean, if you want, if you want an idea, if you want a bold (laughs) idea about the king, about anything, you're talking about the kingdom of God inside of me. He wasn't just talking about in your life together as a community, although that is absolutely true. He's talking about the individual, the kingdom of God is within you. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't even, we barely have a clue what that means, and we, we are almost certain not to believe it, mm. uh, except giving mental assent to it. So that to me is one of, the, one of the biggest ideas out there in my life. And I'm just, I'm just interested in um, the, you know, the whole thing of, of um, you know, this is again. I, I think in you know a lot of these things in in theological terms, and so this is maybe a kind of a late life spiritual awakening as well. But we have been taught so much in in our modern lifetime that everybody is separated from God. Well, there are at least three, if not four or ten, ways in which no one is separated from God. One, everyone is made in the image of God. Two, the Apostle John says that everything that was made was made in and through Christ Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 3, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Listen to this next line. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I'm interested in how the church can take that information and instead of uh, already condemning everybody by 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 them not understanding these things, showing them the framework that is already built internally into their life. And now we are inviting you into relationship with this God who has created all these things in your life already that you may not even be aware of. Mm. And, and to me, it's, it's a transformative way to talk about faith uh, and to introduce them to relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the cross. It's to me, very, very fascinating. So that's one of the big ideas. I want to do some additional writing. I want to, I don't know what all I want to do. I'd love to write a song, but I'm probably never going to do that because I'm not a very good songwriter. Yeah, but you're in the, you're, you're in the space for songwriters living there in Nashville. Uh, I know, I know. That might, that might work against me. We'll see. <laughs> well, I know you authored the book Bond of Brothers, Connecting with Other Men Beyond Work. Um, and this topic really is probably well, I know, having read the book, it's it's dripping out of that book as well, right? This idea of going beyond just uh, the the casual conversations that you can have with one another. How can our listeners find out more about you and about your book? Uh, Amazon still got it. I think a few bookstores do, but um, Amazon for sure. Uh, it is also available in Portuguese and Spanish, and in next September will be available in German. Great. Sehr so, gut. too funny well it's been a honor and a blessing to have you on our show again Wes thank you for making time for us you're very welcome I always enjoy the conversation with you crazy guys so keep up up the uh, the wild life of of inquiry (laughs) you got Uh, it my friend 
And I look forward to having dinner with you guys uh, next time you're in town. Yeah, great. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Well, I mean, so good to have our friend Wes Yoder back on the program with us. Yeah, you guys are BFFs. (laughs) We are. You know, and every time I go and visit with uh, Wes down in Nashville and we get some time together, uh, we can go off and off on, on some really great conversations. And I'm like... Oh, I wish I had the recorder here, not just to, you know, for the purposes of sharing it with my our, our listening audience, but really so I could go back and listen to it as well. Yeah. The guy is a veritable fountain of just wisdom on so many different levels, you know, and you can tell, you know, I, 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 I called him and said, Hey, would, you know, would you like to talk about, you know, what it takes to become a speaker or whatever? And he's like, yeah. you know, what I'd really like to talk about is this idea of curiosity. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, curiosity really does. It really does fit our program it very does. nicely. Yeah, and it kills the cat, too. <laughs> kills the cat? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Bad joke. <laughs> I guess. I, and now I'm the guy I'm the guy not getting it. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> All right. So, you know, in many ways, I mean, our podcast is really just about that. I mean, what we're doing is we're trying to meet out the the information from all of our guests to say, you know, yeah. what, what makes you tick? Tell us your story. And, you know, let's, what can we learn from it? And I was describing our podcast the other night to somebody that I'd met for the first time. Well, what's your podcast about? And I said, you know, it's kind of like, you know, back in the good old days, when you go, <laughs> when you go to a church service, they used to do testimonies, sure, yeah. you know, here's what God's done for me. Right. Yeah. And I thought about it for the fresh way for the first time is that in some ways, what we're doing here is we're teasing out what's the testimony of God's experience in each of these people and how, how have they seen God's work in them as a way to inspire us to say, how might he be doing that in us? Yeah. And I, I, I really identify with this idea of let's, let's cultivate this mindset of curiosity. What if we were to to have a lifestyle of curiosity? What would that look like? For what you? would that look like? Well, what would that look like for you? Well, to me, it would look like a lot more paying attention to what other people are doing and not just, thinking about what I'm doing and how other people might be receiving what I'm doing. Mm. You know, I think it's one of those deals that we all get trapped into, right? Is that we all often think often about ourselves and we're not really present to see maybe what might be going on with others. Right. And so cultivating that kind of curiosity. Well, he said it, he said, um, you stay in the connection, Mm. you know, and, and you, and I loved how he said that because You know, so often I think when we're talking with someone, we might get bored because they're not asking anything of us Mm. and we're not fascinated enough with somebody else's perspective Mm. to stay at it and stay in the connection Yeah, because, Hey, what, how come they haven't said anything about us? I mean, we've teased on this program before, you know, that we've had these, I had this lunch not long ago where, you know, it was over an hour long and. There was not one question about my life, sure. you know? Yeah. And so there's a part of me that feels a little ripped off in that. Yeah. And I think that's because, you know, I haven't fully, fully appreciated or fully valued that, hey, I actually got something more out of it when I just learned about what was happening in somebody else's life. Hmm. Yeah. I, I found that interesting that the answer to how curious or what curiosity looks like or how do you apply that in your own life that his response that was uh, in the relationships, you know, mm-hmm. um, because more often than not, when you think in terms of curiosity, curiosity typically turns to research. Yes. Right. It's you read. I mean, and he mentioned that reading, right. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's going into books, it's pulling out articles. It's all these things that are, 
almost borderline boring to a lot of people to do because there's a lot of people out there that prefer not to read, right? There's a lot of people that say they do like to read, but more than likely, if you're talking to somebody, eight out of eight out of ten, you're talking to somebody who doesn't actually want to read, right? Yeah. So for him to spin it and say it's it's not just about the reading, it's about the relationships. I think it 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 makes uh, it makes the idea of curiosity a palatable thing for people because people there isn't a lot of people that are research driven. No, there are not a lot of people that are research driven. As we were talking, and didn't want to side rail the conversation, but when we were talking about you know kids growing up and how do we lose curiosity and things, one of the things that occurred to me was that maybe we lost curiosity as a child because of the way we were told to learn, because we had to recite things, we had to be tested of things, and it creates this enormous pressure to then conform in order right. to look good. And then curiosity and learning looks a lot like work. Mm-hmm. And and w- what's right. the fun in that, you know? And, right. and as kids, you go, why should I learn, you know, trigonometry? Will I ever use this when I grow up, you know? Yeah. No, you got to learn it, you know? Yeah. And that's not to say you shouldn't learn it, but there's again a should, you know? Right. So the obligation and opportunity sometimes uh, blends itself in there. And it's hard to d- determine, you know, whether something will be a future value to you, right. and in which case, you know, you should do it. Um, or whether there's something that has any utility today that is enjoyable and you can, you can manifest it. But I think as kids, we often learn that this stuff is work. And so when we become free of it, mm-hmm. to your point, uh, a few episodes ago, very few people actually read books right. anymore. And, 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 and that's become a challenge, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's clearly an art to curiosity that someone at some point needs to figure out because I don't think people know how to be curious. Right. Um, even to the point I, I, I was making that it's a risk it's a really risky business being curious. You can't, you can't be in this world and be curious without being shamed or being outcast or being whatever there, there, you, you will be attacked. Go on social media. I don't care which one, any of them pick your choice. Just be curious and see what happens. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because even if you show genuine curiosity to understand something of someone else, not in a challenging way, but you're asking about what their opinion is, yep. then you'll be a you'll be a, assumed to have one opinion or another. Yes, and and then probably attacked, especially, especially in the political arena, right. by one side or another. Right. You and, know, for and, that. Yeah, and it doesn't discriminate by age. And you know how I knew that? Here's how I know that. I was I just spent. A, an entire week in Michigan with a bunch of people who have their doctorates and we're talking about this. Uh, the, the We're talking about community transformation and the urban context and all this stuff. And he, he, here's what really stuck out to me is every time someone would ask me something specific about my culture, and these are people who have lived and talked and worked in the urban context for decades now, right? Mm-hmm. They, would, they would still apologetically ask about my culture because they're they're automatically assuming that I'm going to shame them or say like you know judge them for being stupid for not knowing about my culture and it's like no I I like your curiosity that means you actually care enough That's you great. give a crap enough to ask about me like yeah. I'm I'm not going to call you stupid because you don't know what the language of my country is mm-hmm. you know like it's it's not, it's not something that you can easily assume, you know, the like, language of your company is far side, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying though, right? Like you're immediately attacked when 
you you ask any question or at least assume attack because there's a possibility that you're gonna people are gonna think you're ignorant or stupid or something to that effect, and it, it's hard to be difficult or it's hard to be. It's hard curious. to be difficult. It's, it's hard, true. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to be curious in this world. No, you know that's a really good point, Armin, because when you demonstrate genuine curiosity, you know you can it can be a little bit uncomfortable for people. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're not used to it yourself, you know, yeah. and you step out into it uh, because, you know, there is some assumptions and some people I would imagine could get offended because they're, you're asking a question out of just ignorance, you yeah. know, and it's like, sorry, I don't know. Right. You know? <laughs> but I, I think uh, Wes is onto something. And I think if he, if he were able to actually, and he, if there's anyone that can as Wes, if someone could truly wrestle with this idea of the uh, the art of curiosity in a world that we live in, I think it, I think that would be something a lot of people would be interested in or at least curious about, especially my generation now that we've been called uh, uh, Generation Curious. We're, yeah. lit- we're, called, we're literally called Generation Curious, but our curiosity is... is is only it's only palatable if it's snack size bites, right? Mm-hmm. It's because we we have to do searches. Mm-hmm. We do do Google and we look for the bullet points. And once we have that, it's okay. We're done. Move on to the next curiosity. Yeah, you know, uh, some time ago, Guy Kawasaki, who you know is quite an entrepreneur himself, he was an Apple fellow and went off to fund a bunch of businesses. But he wrote a book called Rules for Revolutionaries. And in that book, he, he writes this, he says, to work the edges, he says, what really matters happens at the edges. That's where one surface or material meets and changes into another. And it's a key principle of architecture. He says, the action is not where the centers are or the areas of sameness. It's mm. on the edges. Mm. And I was, I was thinking about that quote as we were having this conversation, because, you know, this whole thing that you just brought up about. Um, you know, bite-sized things and going to Google. And and really, you know, if you go to Google for the answer of something, you're going to get the sameness because what are the search results ch- uh, uh, giving you? They're giving you the the results that most people look at. Right. You know, it's an echo chamber. Yeah. You know, if you want the, if you want the really curious stuff, you've got to go to page 115 in the search results sure. and see what's, what's not being yeah. in the center or the sameness, you know, otherwise it's a, just a big echo chamber. And I think we don't recognize that's happening in our mm-hmm. culture, that we are being conformed to information. We're being conformed to sameness, the whole political correct stuff. And what's implied in it is that in order to be accepted, you should be within a circle or right. we have defined circles. It's okay to be in different circles. Maybe yeah. at least you'll find some community in the circles, Same right? Circles. Yeah. But what Wes, I think is challenging us to is, you know, get to know people who are not in your circle, get to know people that are outside the edges, mm-hmm. you know, that are not in your center of sameness, you know, yeah. and find out how that informs what you should do with your life. Yeah. And that's, that's very challenging. It's very risky. It is very risky. Yeah. It is very risky. But I, yeah, I do. I, I really think Wes is onto something here, and I hope he does something more with it. And uh, yeah, I I think I got a good title for him too. Somewhere. Yeah, there we go. So we're gonna we're gonna create the bold <laughs> idea for Wes to go to go do. In the meantime, we'll just ignore this as a possibility for ourselves. <laughs> no, I think there's plenty of application here for all of us. We hope that you found something inspiring in this episode and maybe something that inspired you to uh, behave more curiously or maybe to cultivate your own mindset of curiosity. If so, we'd love to hear what you had in mind and what might have come out of that and 
join us uh, in the conversation. Go to boldideapodcast.com slash four four. There you'll find our episode notes, along with some of the links to Wes's books, as well as a space for you to just comment on the show. So join us at boldideapodcast.com slash four four or leave a comment at six one two five six eight idea. That's six one two five six eight four three three two. Well, that's all the time that we have for this episode. And so this is Larry Gates and Armina Saadi saying so long. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.